Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at the um, eighth class of 14 of our structured study of the Noble Dhamma practice itself. Um, last Tuesday's class was on uh, the Kakaya Nagata Sutta, uh, which is a sutta on developing right view, uh, the first factor of the Eightfold Path. This sutta today is on right intention which in the Dhamma is the intention to recognize and abandon the three defilements of greed, aversion, rooted in deluded thinking. And as in the entire Eightfold Path, um, it is supported by um, jhana meditation, the only meditation method that the Buddha taught. Um, and it becomes rather obvious why we need to develop increased concentration upon to recognize and abandon um, eye-making in this moment. And so this sutta, uh, the Dhamma Viharam Sutta, um, is the Buddhist teaching on this primary importance of developing jhana, meaning that if we could have a, an otherwise um, engaged practice of um, study, um, engaging in rites and rituals, um, a, a very performative, um, type of Dhamma practice, meaning that um, the outward appearance of study and practice is much more important than actually developing the Dhamma. And the Buddha recognized that as common during his time, and I recognize it as common in my time. Uh, that's what my <clears throat> Buddhist practice until I came across what the Buddha actually taught or figured it out was entirely performative. I was doing what people told me to do as an expression of my understanding, uh, but all it was was a performance. But, uh, again, not for you, but really for me. I was proving to myself that I was somehow a worthy practitioner by doing all these various things that I saw my acquaintances doing and the teachers. Um, and so I just did that. Um, always getting more and more frustrated and confused because there, there was no benefit from these, except this feeling that I belong to a group, uh, this kind of um, uh, a tribal sad that, that we like to put on ourselves just because we're a part of something that, that makes everything okay. The Buddha recognized that <clears throat> common during his time and during our time. So the antidote to that type of clinging to um, tribal sads is overcome through concentration. The Dhamma Viharam Sutta, for one who dwells in the Dhamma. On one occasion, a certain monk went to the Buddha, bowed and sat to one side. He asked the teacher, what is the meaning of one who dwells in the Dhamma? The Buddha replied, there is a case where a Dhamma practitioner may spend the day in Dhamma study. They may investigate the dialogues and narratives of prose and verse, the spontaneous, spontaneous exclamations, and quotations, stories of birth and amazing events and question and answer sessions. If this one neglects seclusion and does not commit to developing the concentration or jhana 
that rests in refined mindfulness, this one does not dwell on the Dhamma. So again, we can engage in all types of practices. We can be keen on studying and maybe even memorizing these texts, but if we don't develop concentration, there's no Dhamma practice. Then the Buddha says, there is a case where a Dhamma practitioner may have heard the Dhamma and have studied the Dhamma. They spend their days reciting the Dhamma. And if this one neglects seclusion and does not commit to developing the concentration that rests in refined mindfulness, this one does not dwell on the Dhamma. So a different type of practitioner that is avoiding the concentration necessary to actually confront your own mind and your own speech and actions on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Then there is the case where a Dhamma practitioner has heard and studied the Dhamma. They spend their days reciting the Dhamma, meaning chanting. That's a, um, one of the um, primary forms of modern Buddhism is rooted in chanting. Uh, I spent many uh, Sunday afternoons in a particular Sunday morning in a particular <coughs> spot in upstate New York, chanting my ass off, never getting anywhere, and actually feeling like a fool. Um, but I did it because, again, everybody that I was equating with did it. But I was chanting things in um, a language that I didn't understand. I was told that it was Sanskrit. I just had to take that on faith. Um, and that I didn't need to understand the words because the words were magical words. They had their own vibration. And this vibration would somehow raise my whatever it was up to some kind of awakened level. It sounds ridiculous to me now when I'm talking about it, but yet I believed it, and so that's what I practice. Um, the most prevalent form of modern Buddhism is rooted in a chant. I'm not going to identify it because it sounds like I'm beating it up, but that whole practice is just chanting, and if I die with this chant, a specific phrase on my lips, then I'll be taken to uh, some place called Tulsita Buddha, Set Buddha Heaven, there to be taken care of forever and ever and ever. Um, I did that practice for about eight minutes, so that sounds pretty foolish. I'm mean, again, I'm not putting it down. I'm talking about the things that I went through, thinking that they were going to bring me benefit, realizing that none of them did until I came to what the Buddha thought. If this one, the one that is rooted in that chanting or performative practice, neglects seclusion and does not commit to developing the concentration that rests in refined mindfulness, this one does not dwell on the Dhamma. Then there is the case where a Dhamma practitioner has heard and studied the Dhamma. They spend their days thinking about, examining, and evaluating the Dhamma with their intellect. If this one neglects seclusion and does not commit to developing the concentration that rests in refined mindfulness, this one does not dwell on the Dhamma. I have a, um, a very close acquaintance of mine who is a, um, I know he'll never listen to this, so I can say this. Um, he, he probably has, well, he had, an, he had an Oxford chair for a while. That's how brilliant this guy is. And he's a, he's a professor of um, comparative Eastern religions. Uh, he's written great books on comparative Eastern religions, of Buddhism being part of it. Um, and I ran into him one day at a funeral. I said, called him by his name, and I said, so what's your meditation like? And he scoffed me. He said, meditation, I don't do that. So here's this man. He has probably more knowledge about Buddhism than anybody on the planet today, and yet he doesn't do the one thing that would be a benefit to him. 
Um, I still think about that. It, it's surprising to me that um, how strong the, the urge, it's not even the right word, the conditioning to avoiding understanding Four Noble Truth is in human beings. But that's what the Buddha recognized as well when he said this Dhamma practice is for those with just a speck of dust in their eyes, meaning those that are willing to actually do this one thing that the Buddha noticed during his time and is so common during our time, right meditation or jhana meditation. Other practices that I was involved in, excuse me, other practices that I was involved in use meditation, but they use meditation either as a, uh, more as a, a contemplative practice, which isn't deepening concentration, <coughs> excuse me, or a visualization practice, meaning that I could visualize myself into a more pleasant place. Um, and that, again, is denying who I am in this moment, isn't it? If I do anything in this moment, whether it's chant or intellectual study or visualization or anything else that is performative on my part, that's rooted in eye making. Does everybody understand that? Because, and if it's rooted in eye making, all that it is doing is continuing my own ignorance. There is no Dhamma practice there. So all of that to say that we can get, engage in these different practices and think we're doing something that is a benefit to ourselves and maybe to others. And it, it's just another distraction. In, in the case of your, your cousin. Um, you know who I was talking about? Yeah. Uh, it, it all depends on why he even engaged in that, that study. I mean, he's brilliant at it, but, you know, what his, his reason for engaging in that was not his, his own salvation. It was just an intellectual pursuit. Yeah, and, to, and to, to, to be able to qualify and quantify his own brilliance. Mm -hmm. right. And again, it, it, and now that you mentioned him, he's other, in fact, maybe if he listens, he, he's an otherwise really good guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it, again, that whole thing is it's still curious to me. I mean, I understand why, but that you have all this incredible knowledge but you, but it's of no value except I mean he's he's I think he's still teaching he's in the seventies. So it's just a gig. Allegheny University. It's just a gig. Yeah, that's right. It's just a gig. It's it's performative. And again, it, it's not a put down. Many people, most people that I practice with through the years, except in this sangha, do just that. It's an intellectual or performative pursuit. The Buddha continues. Then there is a case where a Dharma practitioner has studied the Dhamma. They have investigated the dialogues and narratives of prose and verse, the spontaneous explanations and quotations, stories of birth and amazing events, and question and answer sessions. They do not spend their day, they do not spend the day in Dhamma study and do not neglect seclusion, meaning that it's not just an intellectual pursuit. They also engage in seclusion and, and jhana practice. They commit themselves. To develop the concentration that rests in refined mindfulness. This Dhamma practitioner dwells in the Dhamma. That's this, that's a defining difference between, again, during the Buddhist time and other practitioners in our time. This single meditation method rooted in the four foundations of mindfulness called jhana practice. And again, the Buddha did not teach any other method except this. Then the Buddha says this. 
these are, I think, to me, these are the most, um, it may be poignant and personal words I've ever read and restored. The Buddha says, I have taught you about the person who is keen on study, keen on description, keen on recitations, keen on thinking, and on those that dwell in the Dhamma. Whatever a teacher should do out of sympathy for you and seeking your welfare, I have done for you. Think about that. Now, when the Buddha awakened, he thought seriously, excuse me, <clears throat> about whether he wanted to teach this and whether it would just be a problem for him, thinking that in the, the translations where we, he thought, this is going to be tiresome for me if people don't want to hear what I have to say. But then he realized, yes, there's, there's some people out there with just that speck of dust in their eyes. And so he got up out of his own seclusion and spent the next 45 years of his life teaching just this. So I'm going to read it again. I have taught you about the person who is keen on study, keen on description, keen on recitations, keen on thinking, and on those that dwell in the Dhamma. Whatever a teacher should do out of sympathy for you and seeking your welfare, I have done for you. He's still doing it. And then he says, over there are roots of trees and empty dwellings. Don't be mindless. Don't fall into regret. Practice right meditation and develop meditative absorption. Develop jhana. That's hmm. So you could almost say this is <clears throat> this is the last word that the Buddha would give on, on the Dhamma. Keeping in mind that he's also taught this group and everyone else the Eightfold Path and, a, and the broader context of the Dhamma, but it all resolves in jhana meditation and deepening concentration. So we'll go online and I'll ask Jeff what he thinks about all this. Hello, Jeff. Hello, John. Hello, Sangha. Um, this uh, this uh, strikes home to me. Uh, I think I could be a case study here recently and not being able to practice jhana. And uh, it, it's amazing the, uh, the scrambling effect it has on one's concentration not to be able to, to practice. Um, yeah, having said that, I, I think if I can, I'd take the opportunity just to express, um, to say how grateful I am to be included in the Sangha. And uh, it means uh, all the difference because it's more like a lifeline uh, now that I've experienced uh, not being able to practice the way I wish. <laughs> and uh, I appreciate you guys' forbearance and my unfocused uh, state of affairs here recently. But um, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. We're fortunate to be a part of your sangha. I'm glad you're here today. Dhamma teacher Brian, how are you this morning? Wherever you are. Are you still there? I don't think he's on. There you are. <clears throat> hey, Brian, you there? Uh, okay, went off screen. No, it's only his picture. Yeah, I guess he went off screen for a second. Well, how are you, Slav? I'm doing very well, thank you. Ready for my vacation. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Nadine, what did you think of this morning's class so far? And welcome to our Sangha again. 
Uh, John, Brian, come back. Yeah, we'll get to Brian. Nadine, how are you? Brian, good morning. Hi. Yeah, apparently I'm doing better than my computer this morning, so I don't know. Um, yeah, I was really, the the seclusion piece um, just really resonates, especially the, the seclusion for the meditation to develop the concentration, but then taking that concentration off your cushion and being secluded in your own mind using the equivalent of wise restraint, right, out in the world. That, that creates seclusion out in the world. So um, thank you for the teaching today, John. Thank you, Brian. Kevin, how are you? Very good, John. Um, thank you for this teaching. Um, again, sort of really, really boils it down. It's, it's so simple, um, it's so important. And um, I just wanna echo what Brian just said. I was thinking, you know, we can dwell in the Dhamma by meditating and uh, doing jhana. And it is very much more difficult to take that off our cushion. <clears throat> the more we do and practice concentration and jhana day by day, the more that will penetrate into our lives. So, and thank you for the teaching. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Kevin. Mary, how are you this morning? Good morning, good morning, everyone. Um, I think like others have said, it is a very simple teaching. Um, and it, you know, presents itself where each of us are in our practice or even in, um, you know, how we're managing things in our lives. Um, and uh, I'm just very grateful for the teaching. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for being here. Mary Beth, good morning. Hello, Mary Beth. Not coming on. Mary Beth, do you hear me? Not if you. I think you're muted, Marriott. Ah, okay, let me go back to Nadine. Nadine, <clears throat> you, would you like to say something? I'm not hearing you. Okay, Sagamal. Good morning. <clears throat> well, I would just echo what, what Brian and Jeff said that. Um, it's very important to continue to be reminded how, how John meditation cannot be ignored. And it's easy to, for me at least, especially at a time of year when I'm busy, <clears throat> there's a lot of things to do, not to take the time. And I really, a couple of days, go by if you don't and I, I notice it immediately it's like who am I and where am I right now <laughs> so um, I'm just so thankful for the sangha and being able to come back here and be recentered every week 
very thankful. Thank you, John. We are too. We're, we're fortunate to have to be in your sangha as well. Thank you, John. <laughs> Good morning, Adam. Good morning, John. <clears throat> um, I'll also echo Becky and Jeff in in my gratitude um, for this uh, this refuge and this um, this opportunity. Um, it occurs to me that uh, to dwell on the Dhamma um, is, is you know, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, is also a process of casting off. And kind of, um, at least in my case, maybe it was your case as well, John, um, these other kind of um, practices and things that you thought that Buddhism was supposed to be and that you, um, you thought would, would benefit you. <clears throat> in my case, my wife and I are getting rid of all this giant furniture because our house is too damn small for huge furniture. And included like these huge bookcases, which in my office, you know, like eight feet tall, full of books on Buddhism. Yeah. Like, there's like 300 of them. <laughs> and uh, so I had to analyze these out. And I got this huge pile of books on the floor of my office. And like, I haven't looked at these in 25 years. And when, even when I did, they were, I was confused. Yeah. I, just, I just didn't get it. And uh, they kind of represent sort of this, this anchor that kind of pulled me away from... Um, True Dhamma practice yeah. and just and and just the simplicity of jhana. Yeah. Um, and uh, so now I'm in sort of the process of kind of casting off those things, both you know, literally, literally, <laughs> and uh, and um, and figuratively and, and mentally. So and this and coming here and uh, integrating jhana into my everyday life, which I'm getting better at now, um, has been absolutely uh, refreshing. And clarifying. So thank you. Thank yeah. You all. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, Ron got uh, my library a couple of years ago. Read it out and burned them. Didn't you? I, I still haven't done it. I, 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 you know, it's mm. a hard thing to do for me to, to yeah. throw away books. Yeah. Uh, yes. Even when they're not even mine, you know, they're, they're really your books. Yeah. Uh, it's just there's. Donate them. You can donate. Nobody them. wants I call them library. Yeah. Yeah. Just not <laughs> library. <laughs> Anybody want my 500? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And all we need is two books. Uh -huh. <laughs> so, uh, I'm going to revise that soon to say, well, we need six books. No other books. It should be no other books except those written by me. <laughs> those are the only books I have on the, on the unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Good spot there. No, you know, I think I said it. More than once, but I wish I came across me, you know, 30 years ago. I would have saved a lot you're of money here. and a lot of time. Huh? You're yeah. here. That's his life. You know? yeah. Time, time spent in bookstores. You know, going yeah. always. Since I was a little kid. Nice yeah. graduates. My my strategy's been to visit all the little libraries in Williston, North Dakota, and deposit books every week. And I, I'm sure they're completely puzzled by the titles they're getting. It's a wonderful, um, clear and simple sutta. Uh, I mean, and, and I, I realized that when I, when I came to the, the Sangha, um, all those other things were, were still really important to me. Okay. And it wasn't until I actually got my daily practice together, which took a few years, uh, that the real um, the benefits finally started coming in. Uh, 
And once you had a more or less complete practice, yeah, and yeah. it took you a while to build into that. Does everybody hear that? Yeah. It's right. That's called right effort, by the way. Takes keep, keep going until yeah. it works. Yeah, but it's it's good to see these these sutras and 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 uh, you know uh, and realize that without that jhana practice, um, you know, without the whole of the of the eightfold path, yeah. it's just nothing. nothing. I happen to be a, 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 a geek by nature, hmm. so uh, <clears throat> all that intellectual stuff is like, you know, it's like sugar for me. <laughs> but um, it, you have to uh, restrain myself and, and coming back to, you know, this is this is a practice. You know, hmm. Am I am I doing my jhana practice, and am I applying it in in united in your body there's nothing going on it's just a distraction thank you Ron. Dharma teacher Jen good morning everyone good morning John how are you I'm good thank you good um yeah I mean I think having yeah my my concentration Woo! distracted today um I think I completely lost what I was going to say. That's okay. <laughs> I lost my mind. I'll just get another one. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the, the books, the books on Buddhism and the, and the information on Buddhism and the experience of Buddhism is all not you know distraction and it's not an experience that i'm familiar with but i have all these other rituals that i've accumulated over time to address angst that mm. i have had to let go of and i am still letting go of um with this practice and it's just like that's kind of what I was it was rolling around in my mind when I was listening to everybody talk and it was like it was just like the right the rituals that I have going like um to uh, to deal with stress like you know uh, uh having to like talk something out or have a conversation with somebody or, you know, I need to do this other thing or I have to like get my eating under control or I need to, you know, in order to feel better, yeah. in order to feel, in, in order to release myself. And the more that like this, this sutta is, um, a perfect 
explanation of how none of that is necessary. And more oftentimes that I, you know, can feel like in my soul, in my guts, in my everything, like that, no, I really need to like have this conversation or I need to work out this problem. That's way more important than if that's, that's not going to solve the issue. Yeah. Meditating is not going to help me today. Um, but man, if I can just like ignore that and sit down and meditate or, or just breathe and center and, and, um, you know, recognize defilements or even hindrances as they are, then it, man, the, the rest of the, um, internal pressure to engage in other practices just falls away. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> well said, Jen. You know, we, yeah, when very well said. anything we put our time into, uh, we're going to have a vested interest in continuing it simply because I've attached myself to it. I, yeah. It takes, it, it took me quite a while to get, um, let go of all the things that I thought were important to hold in mind. Yeah. Um, yeah. That were just a distraction. It was just, it was a, more of this, more of my performance in life right than mm -hmm. actually living my life but i don't have like substantiated piles of books though so yeah my heart goes out <laughs> thank you <Jen. laughs> now i'm teaching david vested interest that's interesting vested interest and vested interest with a foundation of right view that guides your practice and every part of the eightfold path has to have that foundation of right view or else you'll study for the wrong purpose or you'll that's right you'll meditate study for salvation you'll right, meditate yeah. for the wrong purpose or you'll speak well for the wrong purpose mm. and the buddha is not saying ignore study He's saying, don't do it in an incorrect manner. And if it's based on right view, then you'll recognize when you're looking at something that's not right because it's based on right view. Yeah. So something to measure it again. That realization of that really puts the structure of my practice into a context where this saga makes sense because it's in right view. The, the, uh, you know, the, what I read is in right context. My meditation is so there's no wasted energy toward something off right view. And that keeps it simple. And it also keeps it very clean. Yeah. So that's, I spent the first two years woodshedding memorizing and list <laughs> ask mary you probably still find a stick them with sticky notes sticky notes <laughs> with things in books and it was useful because it is confusing but it's not practice and once you 
get to that point of understanding right view, then everything else falls into place and it's not heavy lifting. So this was a really good sutta for me because I remember <clears throat> doing that stuff. And it was neat that I could recite it and understand it, but it wasn't in context of right view. So thank you. So I have a thank question. You, David. Please, Becky. So right view cannot be maintained without a good jhana practice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you can work into that. Yes. It's a funny thing because you need a little right view to start this practice. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, the initial right view is mm -hmm. I, my view is, is a wrong view. It's that's the first. The fact that that's I'm not that, seeing things clearly. Yeah, right. That's that speck of dust. Yeah. And then right view is something that will guide you mm. and you'll feel that you're in that that groove yeah you're in that like understanding that what this is for and it's not like a ever a drudgery or or something that you want to put down because it's just part of what you become yeah it's it's truly truly a liberating practice um and it's the reason why we present it this way too. The, the first thing we teach anybody is to meditate. You know, it's the first thing we start every class with is meditation. It's John and meditation because everything rests in it. But once you have it established, then you can integrate the other factors of the Eightfold Path. Uh, and it becomes, um, uh, becomes truly beneficial as Ram was describing. But the, the two years that you spent building up to a complete practice was just as important to you as the pre the year since. <clears throat> yeah. But they were as important as all the other things that I did before that. Yeah. And because they, nothing really works until you actually practice really it. And even like when I was here, uh, just, you know, coming to, to class you know, a lot, but, um, <clears throat> It still wasn't wasn't practice, um, and you know, and, and, uh, yeah. Look, looking back, I realized I'm just sitting there, you know, having having half of a practice, <coughs> and and I and I remember how I would come out of here and go home and, and have a fight. <laughs> you know, or, or storm into the house being, being, you know, ticked off about something, uh, you know, <laughs> there's, there's the, the lack of benefit of, of, of that particular uh, practice. Yeah. yeah so uh, the um, genre practice is to be taken seriously. And for those of you that might be um, reinvigorating your practice, uh, start with short periods of meditation, but twice a day. Um, a, a practice of five or 10 minutes twice a day is far more practice than a, a half hour sit once a day. Um, there's just something about that balance of every, about every 12 hours, we uh, rest in meditation, we rest in jhana. It, it interrupts uh, the 24 hour cycle of keeping your conditioned thinking going. Um, it's just so important and there's no practice without jhana meditation. 
Mary Beth, um, you didn't get a chance to speak before. Would you like to say something? Can you hear me? There you are, yep. Oh, okay. Um, well, I was, uh, shoot, thought I was going to get off. <laughs> I didn't have anything to say before, but um, but what I have to say now besides, well, what I have to say now is like, I have not, you know, I've been re-engaging with the Sangha after a few years. And um, so between listening to um, the podcasts uh, for the days I'm not there and getting there weekly, which I feel good about, um, but I have had zero daily meditation practice. So you caught me just committing to myself to do the five minutes <laughs> and the funny a day. And the funny thing is, is like, I probably could have like, uh, not started because it's like, I don't know, morning or evening. Should I, I don't know which, which is going to work better. I don't know. <laughs> but now you said five minutes in the morning and five minutes in the evening. And oh, now I can't get away with it. So that's, that's where, that's where my mind was. It's just, yeah, it's just time to do that. And I'm sure it won't be perfect, but, um, but that's my commitment to myself and I'll make that commitment. Uh, and you know, I want the Sangha to hear that too, because, you know, that'll. Yeah. We heard it and we'll be inquiring. Uh, yeah, Mary Beth, I, Mary Beth, I started with three minutes just to. Yeah, yeah, I was just thinking. I just thought of three minutes if you too, but I'm like, like you, I, I can handle. I can, I can handle five. Yeah, and if you if you start telling yourself you can't do five minutes, you don't even have time for five minutes. Yeah, which I will do. Then just say, okay, I'm just going to do a minute or two minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you, Dharma Teacher yeah. Jen. <clears throat> I gotta yeah, do that too. Right, yeah, right, the, right. Yeah. The important thing is to do it length of time. I, I've read um, everything the Buddha ever said. <laughs> uh, I read a lot of the suttas, and I've never ever come across anything where the Buddha says sit for this long. Never. Yeah. Never. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I've been I've been a piano teacher for a very long time, and it's exactly yeah. what I tell my students. Yeah. It's like, nice. who cares? Make a commitment to do it every single day, five minutes. And it doesn't have to be perfect. It'll probably be, you know, instead of seven days, three or four or five, whatever. And then five minutes often turns into more. And so that's, yeah. I'm going to have to take my own, my own guidance on that. Actually, Good. Yeah. Thanks, Mary Beth. I got your email too about dinner. So we're going to, we'll work yeah. all the logistics out. But uh, yeah, so we're going to, we're, awesome. those of us are going to go to uh, a concert down in Princeton. We're going to join for dinner before. Uh, in Montgomery, Montgomery, just outside of Princeton. So, anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I am too. Okay. All right. Have a great week, we'll, everyone. We'll finish uh, in the usual way <clears throat> with Meta. So, again, take a moment to become mindful of your in breath and your out breath, and let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on Metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature, 
Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life, her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the sky <clears throat> and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision and being free from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class. Today. Thank you, Jim. Peace, everyone. Thank you. Bye. All right, thanks a lot. See you, Kevin. See you, Jeff. See you, Mary Beth. See you, Mary. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.